I bid you welcome back to the Eldritch Review Podcast. I am Dr. Jack Al Creeper. The Eldritch Review is the podcast dedicated to reviewing and discussing horror movies from anywhere in the 1920s to the 1940s and beyond. With today being all about their most favorite universal and film icon, I would like to formally dedicate this episode to my girl Kat Herons, Adele over on Nufo, Cindy Lowry, aka That Darn Catwoman, and all of the awesome contributors on the Instagram page Vampire King Lugosi. You all have shown me so much love over these past few days, and rightfully so. I hope this episode makes you feel as proud and as joyful as he makes you feel. Thank you for all the love and appreciation. It's because of folks like you that made this unique season even more special than it already is. Thank you again. I hope you enjoy. On today's episode of the Eldritch Review, I'm sure you can already guess, I am over the moon excited and I have been waiting to make this episode for a very long time. This icon I'm about to feature has been my biggest inspiration behind so much of my life, but especially my major love for horror. The one and only, Bella Ferenz DJ Blasco, otherwise known as Bella Lugosi. Bela Lugosi was one of the first universal icons I remember watching, and I became so fascinated by everything he was. My first introduction to Bela was a spoofed edition of his 1947 classic, Scared to Death. I was only 13, maybe 14 years old, and I remember becoming so intrigued by the man in black, as I called him. A year later, I watched Dracula 1931, and I remember I had such an issue with it because I wasn't sure why Dracula wouldn't bite his victims. As I got older and I learned more and more about films, I realized censorship was a thing back then and it wasn't exactly welcome to watch a vampire bite a victim's neck. So after finally learning that enormous anecdote, I gave Dracula and his other films a chance and I realized they are absolutely gorgeous. I gotta say, I'm glad I changed my mind and gave the other films a chance because if I didn't, there's no way I'd be here talking to all of you right now. So without further ado, grab your drink and your snack sit back and rest in peace. I have a story for you. In October 20th, 1882, Bela was born as the youngest of four siblings. He was never interested in school or education, but rather focused on music, singing, and the arts instead. His father disagreed with his passion and imposed that Bela follow the footsteps of his older siblings and learn a more practical trade instead. Despite a grueling upbringing, Bela stood firm in his passions, igniting an extreme tension between him and his father that was ever-present. He would leave home at 12 years old to chase his dreams, dropping out of school and jumping right into the workforce. A year later, he learned his father had passed away, but he still kept the vendetta strong against his family. Bela was unable to find acting work straight away, so he resorted to the mines where he was a machinist. Despite having a stable job, he still had a very strong persistence and desire to act. His son Bela Jr. recalls that his father would stand behind the stage door of Hungarian theaters hoping he'd be noticed, but it wasn't until he was 20 years old that he was offered stage work in regional theater companies. His first notable roles are in Shakespearean classics including Hamlet and Macbeth. It was a perfect time for Bela to have entered the Hungarian theater scene because what followed was a major renaissance led by the dramatist Ferenc Molnar. It was at this point Bela began experiencing with different stage names to secure as many roles and chances as possible. Bela Jr. recalls his father going by Aristide Ald, among others lost in memory. Of those names included Bela Lugosi, which of course was inspired by his hometown of Lugos, Hungary. With his name pinned down and at just 28 years old, Bela's first big break came in 1910 when he was the leading role in Romeo and Juliet. 
It was a very exciting opportunity for him, as well as a very controversial opportunity because of his lusty portrayal of Romeo, although it was still very loved and highly sought after. Bela was very committed and dedicated to what he did and he poured everything that he had into what he did. Bela Jr. recalls his father telling him stories about how hard he'd work and how dedicated he was to his craft. By 1915, Lugosi accomplished what was considered such a dream to many other Hungarian actors, which was an invitation to join the National Theater of Budapest. Although his roles were mainly supporting characters, he was still able to work with some of the greatest actors and directors of his time. Though the opportunity was exciting, it was quickly outshined by what later became the Great War and World War I. Actors were exempt from military service, but Bela insisted in joining the fight since he supported the cause, so he enlisted in the army where he was a member of the ski patrol. While serving for the Hungarian army, he was injured and spent the remainder of his service and the war in recovery. Though he was laid up, he was labeled as a captain and received the country's equivalent of a Purple Heart for the injuries he sustained. By the time the war ended, Bela was 35 years old and returned back to the theater. Interestingly, the Hungarian theater industry had a ranking system where each actor would play the same role repeatedly and be judged against their competitors. Bela's role was as Jesus Christ, and he received high remarks due to his resemblance to the biblical depictions. At that point, he married Ilana Smik, but their marriage was very quickly tainted by Bela's disappointment and her parents' disapproval of his unstable theater career. It was bad enough political tensions were high in Hungary after the war, and with theater companies siding with the Revolutionary Regime Party to improve their working conditions, Lugosi was labeled as a traitor for being an organizer when the revolution failed. Bela tried to flee with Iana to Vienna, but was quickly tracked down by her parents and she was forced to return to Budapest and divorce her husband. This left Bela devastated because of how deeply he felt for her, and according to Lugosi Jr., that feeling never subsided. In 1917, Lugosi starred in his first film, The Leopard, and shortly after relocated to Berlin, where he found work in the already thriving German film industry. He received countless featured roles in films such as F.W. Mornell's Diane Scott, an early adaptation of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and as a Native American in The Deerslayer. Though he was receiving consistent work finally, he was unsatisfied with the German film scene and Germany as a whole. Since he was unable to go back to Hungary, he boarded a ship sailing across the Atlantic where he worked as the engineer. This brought him to New Orleans in 1921, and from there he traveled to New York where he was able to obtain political asylum. Bela Jr. remembers his father telling him how proud he was to be in America and how deeply he believed in the country. Now comfortable living in America, Bela Lugosi married yet again to Iana von Montauk, but once again the marriage failed due to jealousy and professional rivalries. Despite his new home country, Bela Lugosi was unfamiliar speaking English, so he attempted to kickstart a Hungarian repertory company. When he was given English-speaking roles, he memorized his lines phonetically, meaning one syllable at a time, which contributed to his signature speaking style. In 1922, Lugosi starred alongside Estelle Winwood in The Red Poppy, which became controversial when the lovemaking scene bruised Winwood's ribs, which caused Lugosi to become the newest sex symbol. Though he received this new badge of honor, Bela met his first case of typecasting when he was casted as foreign villains. It broke his heart because he was so keen on having acting range and versatility. His first American on-screen debut came in 1923 when he starred in the silent film The Silent Command as a master spy who aimed to blow up the Panama Canal. 
Then, in 1925, Lugosi donned a goatee in the also-silent The Midnight Girl as a seductive theatrical impresario which only added to his sex symbol status. By 1927, he was offered a role in a British stage play that was headed for Broadway, but between typecasting frustrations and lack of dialogue, he turned the invitation down. Bela was at a bit of a standstill when it was discovered that his successor, Raymond Huntley, also turned the role down, so Bela was asked to reconsider. It was that one yes that gave us the household name we know to be today. That October, Bela hit Broadway to don the cape of Count Dracula for the very first time, which was an instant success. Between various roles in film and in the theater, and now playing Count Dracula, Bela Lugosi had finally broke through. His rise in popularity and stardom caused him to be the attraction of numerous women. He married Beatrice Woodruff Weeks in 1929, who was the millionaire heiress of the Mark Hopkins Hotel in San Francisco. Though they may have had impressive lives, their marriage was not. It only lasted four days before they filed for divorce. While Bela's love life was in the air, one thing that was certain was the success of Dracula on stage. In Los Angeles, Universal sought to make Dracula into a feature film, with the title role being played by Lon Chaney as a way to get him away from MGM. Of course, Lon Chaney sadly passed away before filming could even begin, which nearly crumpled Universal's vision. Though he crushed the character on stage, Bela was sadly not up for consideration by Universal at all. The other actors that were considered were Chester Morris, Paul Mooney, and, from the man who laughs, Conrad Veidt. Lugosi Jr. remembers his father being surprised and disappointed that he was not their first choice after playing him on stage. Bela gave it everything he had when lobbying for the role as Dracula, playing everything from Arab sheiks to corrupt businessmen to get the full attention of Universal. It was also at this time Lugosi began to have a very publicized love affair with America's it girl, Clara Bow. Though their love affair was the most popular headline at the time, Bela did not let it distract him from his biggest goal, which was securing the role and playing Count Dracula. Finally, after much convincing and agreeing to a low paycheck, Lugosi was finally granted the role of Dracula. The film was instantly an international success, and Bela quickly became regarded as the new Lon Chaney. Further after the success of Dracula, Lugosi became an American citizen and became the fascination of the Hollywood press, which portrayed him as the dark, mysterious European man. Because of his excellent portrayal of Dracula, Universal wasted no time to consider Bela for the role of Frankenstein's monster, but Bela refused to star in the role because he didn't want to be mute nor wear tons of makeup. Even though he refused a major role, he was still huge in the eyes of Universal and was now sharing that spotlight with Boris Karloff after his portrayal in the role. Universal desperately needed someone to replace Lon Chaney since he meant so much to cinema at that point, and with the success of both Dracula and Frankenstein, Bela and Boris became the ultimate successors, putting out more and more movies both individually and collectively. Lugosi would go on to star in 1932's Murders in the Rue Morgue, but because of the failure it had at the box office, Universal cut his contract. Bela immediately regretted the decision and made it a point to accept each and every role that was offered to him after that point. 1932 saw him in Chandu the Magician, White Zombie, among several other infamous roles. Though he enjoyed playing Dracula, it was that role which garnered him the most typecasting and in turn ruined his potential for other roles and as a sad result he had no choice but to file for bankruptcy because even the public labeled him as Dracula before anything else. 
in January of 1933, he made a Dracula-themed appearance in Hollywood on Parade with Mae Questel, where he appeared to hypnotize her and bite her neck off camera. That February of the same year, Bela married Lillian Arch, who would later become the mother to his one and only son, Bela Lugosi Jr. Being with Lillian gave Bela the stability he so desperately needed in life and reinstated his career as well. By 1934, Universal experimented with the possibility of conjoining Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi and succeeded tremendously with The Black Cat, The Invisible Ray, and in 1935, The Raven. Also in 1935, Lugosi found himself in the cape of a vampire yet again in Todd Browning's Mark of the Vampire, which is where the infamous Count Dracula vs. Count Mora confusion comes from. To avoid further typecasting and to show a little more versatility, Bela took other roles in non-horror films. Though he may have had a challenging professional time, his personal life was thriving after his son was born in January of 1938. The next year, Bela starred with Boris Karloff again in Son of Frankenstein, which featured him as the demented, undead assistant Igor. It was this role that attracted him more and more attention that he so desperately needed. When World War II started, Bela took a short break from acting to assist the war efforts by appearing at bases and factories, as well as newsreels where he urged the public to donate blood. At home, Bela was a stern but loving father who raised his son with crucial morals like being honest and working hard. Lugosi Jr. recalls attending military school by the time he was just six years old. Despite a stern view on education and upbringing, Bela had countless Hollywood parties for which his son remembers vividly as well as all the dogs and pets they had at home. By 60 years old, Bela began dealing with leg and back pain which only got worse when he became the monster of Frankenstein after all in 1943's Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. It was such irony for Lugosi considering he turned down the role of the monster back in 1931, and additionally, having his dialogue cut when originally he was told he could speak was nothing but salt in the wound. Though Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman was a near fatal blow to Lugosi, he managed to get some swagger back when he became a vampire again in 1943's The Return of the Vampire, but because of Universal and Columbia Pictures differences, he was named Armand Tesla though it didn't take much for fans to spot the vampire they knew and loved. Bela was always the first to get top billing or top paycheck, though his movies were anything but. Lugosi Jr. remembers his father not letting the status of the film affect his acting capabilities and always gave every role 110%. In another Roll of the Dice, Lugosi was created a role special so he could star alongside Boris Karloff in RKO's The Body Snatcher, but his poor health and complexion scarred the director. Lugosi Jr. remembers that at this time, his father was prescribed medication for his leg pain and sadly became addicted to the medicine he had. His addiction became a Hollywood secret and it never affected his performances, but unfortunately, Hollywood was not completely satisfied with him. By the time he was in his mid-60s and with chronic pains, Lugosi began to tour in stock theaters for Dracula. In 1948, Lugosi became Dracula just one more time, which would be his last role for a major movie studio when he starred alongside Glenn Strange and Lon Chaney Jr. for Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. Despite all of his health issues, Lugosi reigned successful and youthful in his role despite the universal monsters and other monsters falling out of cinematic interest. The real horror was the aftermath of World War II and the nuclear age that followed. Bela's old age stripped him of the possibility to play leading roles while his health removed him from nearly everything else which left him out of work. 
In a desperation attempt, he starred in Ed Wood's Glen or Glenda, and it was that role that really rocked the socks off of critics for its controversial subject matter. With themes of transgendering and pseudo-sociology, critics had themselves a day when they disparaged this movie. The box office wasn't really any nicer. Although Edward's movies were horrible and did even worse in the box office, Bela appreciated him because he gave him work and gave him roles when others wouldn't. In 1953, Bela made a television appearance which was rare for him in the popular TV show, You Asked For It, which gave him the chance to play Dracula again, but sadly, despite a good performance, his old age and addiction could not be masked any longer. He became lonely and impoverished with his only friends being two younger fans of his. He was unable to receive suitable employment, so he resorted to staying with Ed Wood in the films he made. In 1955's Bride of the Monster, Lugosi's role echoed his own life and gave him the chance to let it all out on screen. Bela's substance abuse and lifestyle became such a damage plan for him, causing him and his beloved Lillian to divorce. It took such a major toll on both of them since their love for each other was so strong, but his health issues and addictions were too much for her to bear. After the divorce, Bela tried desperately to curb his addiction and by the spring of 1955, admitted himself in for treatment. It was there he received more press for his health and addictions than any other moment in his career. Of course, the tabloids had a day with it as well. Unbelievably, he made a full recovery in just three months and at 72 years old, appeared more rejuvenated than he ever had in his lifetime. He had made history as well, being the first well-known Hollywood star to battle addiction. As he went through recovery, he received letters from a one Hope Lineger, who was a longtime fan of his. Her letters were always signed, A Dash of Hope, and would go on to become the fifth wife Lugosi would have. Bela had hoped his recovery would give him more work and well wishes, and while the wishes came pouring in, his work offers did not. The only director he pleased was Ed Wood. His last role was meant to be an Ed Wood special, Tomb of the Vampire, but was changed to Plan 9 from Outer Space. Though he had hoped for a comeback, he was sadly denied. On August 16th, Bela Lugosi was pronounced dead at 73 years old. Just two years after Lugosi's death, the love for monsters was re-established when famous monsters of Filmland hit the magazine stands, which put newer generations onto the monsters who terrified their grandparents. And so lies the count, another result of hard work, dedication, and passion. Let me just end by saying an extremely deep-seated thank you to Bela Lugosi for inspiring me beyond measure and being one of the greatest celebrities ever to grace the silver screen. I would not be here doing the Eldritch Review and appreciating vintage cinema if it wasn't for you. You are my idol, my inspiration, and you never fail to fascinate me. Thank you, Bela, and rest in peace. As always, before we wrap up the episode, let's end on everyone's favorite note. These are the Eldritch Review interesting facts about the one and only Bela Lugosi. And like usual, these facts come courtesy of IMDb, Internet Movie Database. So let's get started. Number one, his Los Angeles home was purchased by Johnny Depp, who played his friend Edward Wood in Ed Wood, 1994. Honestly, I love, love that Johnny Depp got Bela's house. If it wasn't going to be Johnny Depp, I would automatically guess it would either be like Zach Bagans or Rob Zombie since they have a deep affinity for Lugosi as well. But I'm very happy Johnny Depp did, and the fact that he played Ed Wood in the movie Ed Wood alongside a fake Bela Lugosi, I think that, that is, that's poetic, if you ask me. Number two, his performance in Todd Browning's Dracula 1931 created such a sensation that he reportedly received more fan mail from females than even Clark Gable himself. 
Yep, much deserved. And when he was doing those stock tours I was telling you about, he would always joke around and say that he was actually the Clark Gable of the Budapest stage. His wife compared him to Lionel Barrymore, and he's like, no, no, Clark Gable. It's kind of funny the way that works. Number three, he has two roles in common with Sir Christopher Lee. Number one, Bela Lugosi played Count Dracula in Dracula in 1931 and Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein in 1948, while Christopher Lee played him ten times from Horror of Dracula in 1958 to Dracula and Son 1976. And two, Lugosi played Frankenstein's monster in Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman 1943, while Sir Christopher Lee played him in The Curse of Frankenstein 1957 both excellent men if you ask me. I love Sir Christopher Lee. Number four, although his status in He Who Gets Slapped 1924 remains unconfirmed to date, in August 2017, videos surfaced with screen captures of a clown extra that bears a striking resemblance to Lugosi and allegedly would finally offer proof that he was indeed part of the crowd. In this silent film, initially a teenage boy named Richard Sheffield who befriended Lugosi in the 1950s found two photographs among Lugosi's personal scrapbook of his own work, from which the speculation that he had worked in this silent began to start. Now, I don't know if this is entirely proven, but I would absolutely love if it's proven because I love that movie, I think it's fantastic, and of course I'm a huge Lon Chaney fan, so if that's proven, I need to check that out immediately. Number five, his descendants own a winery and sell the Lugosi wines, one of them being called the White Zombie Chardonnay. Okay, I need to find this immediately. I love wine and I love the movie White Zombie, so anybody up for a boozy movie night? Number six, in spite of wearing a tuxedo in nearly every film where he didn't portray a beast, he is said to have preferred sportswear to formal wear, with his favorite material being flannel and wearing bright colors. Interesting. I've always seen Bela in like dapper clothes. I've never seen him in like casual clothes, so that's interesting. Number seven, though famous for his role as Dracula, even in his native country of Hungary, the movie itself was surprisingly unknown, along with most American pictures he had appeared in. Dracula 1931 was released in Hungary shortly after its American debut in 1931, but many critics and viewers slammed it. The movie fell into obscurity shortly afterwards, and very few American genre movies, such as horror and monster films, reached the country during most of the 20th century, mainly due to the strict communist censorship. It was only through the advent of home video and the internet that most Hungarians finally saw the performance that made Lugosi a star in the West. To this day, only a couple of his works have been dubbed into his own language, and the DVD releases have been out of print since the early 2000s. Hmm. That's interesting. Number eight, he owned a large framed portrait of himself that he had commissioned in the 1930s. He is depicted as standing in a gray suit, one hand upon his hip and the other holding his coat and hat. This hung in his Los Angeles home until the day he died and it is now owned by Metallica's lead guitarist, Kirk Hammett, who is a hardcore horror movie fan and horror memorabilia collector. Kirk Hammett also has something that belonged to Boris Karloff. I think it was his jacket from the black hat 1934 but yeah his universal monster collection is insane him and lyle blackburn i'm like yo can i have some of that like even just a little bit because that collection is insane if you haven't looked it up look it up you will not be sorry Number nine, on his free time, Bela Lugosi was a stamp collector, and as such, he would have been thrilled to know that he himself ended up gracing two US postage stamps later on in the 50s. 
and I actually have the frame picture of one of his stamp too. That's in my monster collection. And finally, number 10, after trying to auction it off for over $1 million in 2011, his son Bela Jr. parted with his father's arguably most cherished possession, the Dracula Cape. In November of 2019, the priceless artifact was later generously donated to the Museum for Academy of Motion Pictures in Los Angeles. His son and granddaughter felt that the cape shouldn't be hidden in one person's closet for the world to never see, but that it should carry Lugosi's legacy forward. By February of 2020, the cape was undergoing minor restoration, mainly to repair small tears in the cape's silk crepe lining by repatching it from its original backing with new silk bits. It was dyed to match its original top color and would go on display among other exclusive and priceless Golden Age of Hollywood movie star props and artifacts as part of a prestigious collection where it is being well cared for. Okay, who wants to make a trip to Los Angeles with me? Who wants to see the Dracula cape? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? And on that note, creeps, that concludes today's episode of Bela Lugosi. I hope you have enjoyed listening as I've enjoyed learning about it. I want to express my huge gratitude to the self-titled YouTube documentary, thanks to the channel, Movie Documentary. I highly recommend watching it for any Lugosi fan and any other vintage celebrities you enjoy as well. Tons of incredible features and easily accessible. Just visit YouTube and look for the channel name Movie Documentary. Remember to follow The Eldritch Review on Facebook under the name at The Eldritch Review Podcast or on Instagram at The Eldritch Review. Also, if you would like another way and method to support The Eldritch Review, consider contributing to The Eldritch Review's Patreon page. You can pledge any amount from $1 to $100, and depending on which level you choose will determine the benefits you receive. Link is in the Instagram bio to contribute. And finally, be sure to check out all of our brand new Eldritch Review merchandise on the Eldritch Merch Store, featuring more monster tees by Austin Webb and some brand new accessories including iPhone cases from models 6 and 6S to iPhone 12 Pro Max, pins and buttons, and the all-new clampable COVID-19 pandemic masks. Be sure to purchase your merchandise today. Link to shop is also in the Instagram bio. Next week's episode will feature another personal favorite, universal and classic horror actor of all time, who, alongside Lugosi, has inspired so much of what I do. The star of the movie I was watching when planning the Eldritch Review, William Claude Rains, or better known as Claude Rains. Prepare for another soppy-ass episode, because Claude means so much to me as well. I haven't really taken the time to get to know him yet, so this will be a first time for me as well as it will be for you. So... Until next week.